Jesus, we thank you so much for dying for us on the cross, for suffering. Uh, Lord, you didn't have to suffer, but Lord, you endured um, the Father's wrath against sin for us. And Lord, that, that just changes everything in our life. Uh, we can know for a fact that our Father is not angry with us and not upset with us because of our sin. Uh, and Lord, so we do not want to grieve your Spirit by continuing to stay in that place where we remove ourselves from your presence by feeling bad about our sin. Lord, we want to run to you and not away from you. Lord, we ask right now that you would forgive us of all our sin so that we could be blameless in your sight. And we thank you, God, for the cleansing that comes to those who would have faith in what you did on the cross. And God, we thank you so much for that. Lord, we pray that your word would, would seriously transform us and speak to us in, in very clear words and, and ways today. Even if it's not something we can explain, but I just pray that you would do something in our hearts that would change us for your glory. Lord, we, we're not here to try and change ourselves or to become better people, but God, we just want to draw near to our Father and allow you and your Spirit to mold us and shape us through the study of your Word. God, to close this prayer, I just ask that you would give us the ability to thank you for our trials. It is something that is literally impossible for us to do in our flesh or for the world to do. But God, we, we ask that you would make that a reality in our hearts and in our life. That, that you would help us understand what our trials have been given to us for. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the verse that we're studying today is chapter 6, verse 16 in Ephesians. It says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Taking the shield of faith. So we've been looking quite in depth at the armor of God, the defense that God has given us to stand against the enemy, to totally win every battle. And we've We've looked at the belt of truth and the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. And we've looked at the, the feet, the, the shoes that we're supposed to wear. And today we get to taking the shield of faith. So I want to kind of go back up and read the whole context for us so we remember all these things. He, in verse 13, starting, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I want you to notice the difference between those three items of armor and the armor and the peace that we're talking today. Those three, Paul said, were to have them. And today, we're supposed to take the shield. And there's a difference in that. The, those three are something you can prepare beforehand, the truth. And we learned that when we studied the belt of truth, that the question is, how can we know the truth about Satan's attacks? If Satan is a master liar and a master manipulator and deceiver, how can we know the truth? And the answer to that question, as we studied in that week, was read your Bible. The Bible will just input truth into your life. 
without you even trying. It will be there. You will know your God, and you will know his truth. So read the Bible. It was something you do before the trial comes, before the attack comes, so that you can recognize it. Then we studied the breastplate of righteousness, something we do also before a trial comes. And is how, the question is, how can we control and guard our emotions? Satan is so good at attacking our heart, our emotions, and, and how can we avoid our emotions playing a larger role in our decisions than they should? And the answer to that was confession confessing your sin and confessing your unrighteousness, literally taking off your own breastplate of righteousness that Satan can so easily shoot through and putting on Jesus' righteousness in its place, saying, I'm only good because Jesus was good. That's the only reason why I am able to be okay, because he's so good at our emotions, at attacking our emotions. So then last week we studied the shoes of the gospel of peace. We called them big old biker boots. I liked that. And so the question was, how can we stand firm and not run away in fear when Satan's attacks come? And again, this is a a pre-equipping of armor. This is something we're to have in place already when Satan comes to attack you. And the answer to that was, how do we stand firm and not run away in fear? We confidently believe that God loves you, is leading you, and will not leave you. It's that relationship with God. We believe it, we depend on it, we have it with us. So, but even in all this perfect equipping that we have, in this perfect armor, Satan is still coming after us. And so God gives us something today that we can pull out, hold up, when that attack comes. So maybe you didn't spend time in the Word. Maybe you hadn't confessed your sin, and so you're emotionally broken and and all in turmoil. Maybe you weren't standing firm in your relationship with God, and so you were tempted to run away in fear. But this shield can come along then, and you can hold it up and still deflect the fiery darts or arrows of the enemy. So again, I want to remind you of a verse we, we looked at the first week. We were studying the armor, and it's 1 Peter 5.8. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Writing in Moody Monthly, Carl Armanding recounted his experience of watching a wildcat in a zoo. I stood there, he said. An attendant entered the cage through a door on the opposite side. He had nothing in his hands but a broom. Carefully closing the door, he proceeded to sweep the floor of the cage. He observed that the worker had no weapon to ward off an attack by the beast. In fact, when he got to the corner of the cage where the wildcat was laying, he poked the animal with a broom. And the wildcat hissed at him, and and then he lay in another corner of the enclosure. Armanding remarked that the, to the attendant, you certainly are a brave man. No, I ain't brave, he replied as he continued to sweep. Well then, that cat must be tame. No, came the reply, he ain't tame. Well, if you aren't brave and the wildcat isn't tame, then I can't understand why he doesn't attack you. Armerding said, as the man chuckled, he replied with an air of confidence, Mr., He's old, and he ain't got no teeth. 
People in the church and in the world give the devil way more credit than he deserves. Way more credit. They give it to him. And here's how they do it. Something bad happens in their life. Something bad. The doctor says it's cancer. Or the sickness just won't go away. Or the pain in your back or in, in your body is just chronic. We get in that car accident or we lose our job. Someone treats us unfairly or they're just plain mean to us. We trip and fall and break our leg or fall off the stairs. Not that that's ever happened. We lose all our money because of this, that, or the other. Our spouse cheats on us and leaves us. Our dad never cared or wasn't around. Our mom was unfair. Our teachers were cruel. Our boss is a jerk. Those are just a list of some examples of bad things happening in our life. So these bad things happen in our life. And what happens, the first thing we do is we think, boy, the devil is at work again. Or we ask this question, why does the devil keep making bad things happen in my life? Has anyone ever thought that question? Why? Why is he attacking me? And we think this for a few reasons. We reason in our mind and we think, well, he hates me. And that's true. Absolutely true. He does hate you. He wants me to suffer. Boom. True again. He does want you to suffer. Well, I think he was an angel or something, and so he's supposed to have this great power, so he, he probably could hurt me. True again. He was an angel. He is an angel. He has different kind of power than you or I have. He, he studies me to see how he can make me fall. True again. So we take these evidences and then we put them in a pot and what comes out, he must be the one that causes these circumstances in my life. False. That is giving teeth to a lion that has no teeth. In 1 Peter, Peter said, he's a roaring lion, not a biting lion. He's not good at biting. And we studied that a few weeks ago when we saw that Jesus literally kicked the teeth out of him when he rose from the dead, so he can't attack us anymore. He has no authority over a believer's life. He can't do anything to you. Ah, but he's very involved, isn't he? But we don't want to give Satan more power than he deserves. It's like saying he has the teeth that he doesn't really have. The real answer to this question of who brings things into your life that are difficult and hard is God. God. And that's not disrespectful and it's not blasphemous to say. Maybe you're like, oh my gosh, the pastor just said God's the one that makes my life bad. Yes, God is allowing these things. God is absolutely in total control of what happens to you. Total control. Everything is between you and him. And the thing is, he brings us a whole lot of good, too, and a little bit of bad. You know, but we never seem to dwell on the good, do we? Maybe you're a half-glass empty type fellow and you just think ah it's always something it's always a bummer 
even if you're an optimistic person, you can still be beat down by the circumstances of your life. But the Bible says he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Rain is good, and he sends it. Air is pretty good. He sends us the air. Air gets polluted by smog, and all of a sudden we have the demon of smog in our life. <laughs> and every relationship you've been given, even the church is a gift to you. You know, he's done so much good for us, but we ignore it, okay? Well, we don't ignore it, but our circumstances just get us off track. They get us thinking about the bad that's in our life. Because he also brings us these tough things. He brings us these bad things. And let me give you two illustrations of what this looks like from God's perspective. In Jeremiah 18, God gives us a picture. He takes Jeremiah down to the potter's house. And he says, look at that potter. And Jeremiah says, yeah, I see him. He says, what's he doing? Well, he's making a pot and he's, he's putting some water on it and he's forming it. And then he didn't like it, so we broke it and made something else out of it. And God said to Jeremiah, I'm like that potter. I'm applying pressure to the lives of my people. I apply some pressure because I'm forming a masterpiece, my masterpiece, what I want. And if I don't like how it's going, I have every right to break it and start over. And God does that sometimes. He brings this pressure into our life. Then in Psalm chapter, or Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3, it says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. And he uses this illustration many times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament about God being like a refiner of fine metals. And what they would do, obviously, is they'd take the gold or the silver, they'd heat it up, the impurities would rise to the top, and then he would scrape those impurities off, and what would be left is the pure metal that he was desiring to create. And so God, he's like a potter applying pressure. God is like a refiner turning up the heat in your life. He brings these bad circumstances into your life. He does. He does. I'm sure there's some things going on in your emotions, in your heart right now, that are kind of questioning, but we're going to get to that in just a minute. But God cares too much about you to leave you how you are. And you might look at yourself and be like, I got it. I'm pretty good right now. I look in the mirror. I'm happy with what I see. Well, maybe not us in here, but some people would say that. Other people most of us are like, yeah, I could see that God has some work to do in my life. Amen? You know, it's like, I, I know that God has, and he loves you. He loves you. What do you think of when you're watching one of those decorating shows on TV? You guys like the TLC, you know, where they take a, uh, a complete dump of a house or a room or something, and they transform it into this amazing hipster paradise, and it's like, a, you know, just, just this awesome transformation. And what do we say about those creators, those workers, as they're breaking down walls? Are we like, oh, those jerks? That's got to hurt that room. No, we say, what vision, what genius. They saw the value in something that I couldn't see, and they invested in it. But the room itself, I bet, is like, this is uncomfortable as walls are being knocked down and carpets being ripped up. How could anything good come out of this, the room thinks? 
Yet we complain so much, don't we, about what God is doing in our life. See, God sees the value in you, in your soul. So he's willing to bring some pressure and heat into your life so he can transform it, so he can purify it. And he filters all of these bad things, all these difficult challenges through his love. He filters it. And so you've heard it said that all the trials in my life are father-filtered. Father-filtered. And it helps us to be able to deal with it when we understand that it's because of his love. So, God brings the circumstances. This is point number one. God brings the circumstances. Some good, some tough, some brutal, but all in love. Every single one of them is because he loves you. But Satan brings the attack to tempt us to sin. God brings the circumstance. Satan brings the attack in our hearts, in our soul, to get us to sin. This is so important for us to understand. You get sick. So Satan, in his wormy little voice, says, why don't you doubt God's love or God's power? You must have done something wrong. You can't rejoice. You can't love God right now. Just mope. Just be a bummer. Satan does that. Maybe you lose your job or you can't find one. Satan comes and he says, God must not care about your needs. He must not care about you. You should, you should get upset with him. You should feel betrayed. You should feel not important enough to God to be taken care of. God's not going to take care of you. That's Satan's attack. Your boss is mean or unfair to you. Why don't you just, why don't you just harbor some bitterness or anger? Or, or here, even better, slack off a little bit in your performance. Or complain. Oh yeah, that'll make you feel better. You deserve a break today. You deserve to complain. What if your spouse is unfaithful? You need to be mean back to them to show them how much they've hurt you. An eye for an eye, right? That's in the Bible. Satan says, make them hurt. You can't love them. Your friend forgets about you and hurts your feelings. Let's hold on to that for later time and bring it up at a time to really get them. Really make me feel better. Or how about this one? Someone close to you dies. Someone dies. People die. It's going to happen. But when someone close to you dies, Satan will scream at you. He loves that time in your life because he can scream at you and he can say, God is mean. God is unfair. You cannot love or trust him. Don't just grieve. Let your grief become anger and stop any trust in God. Let your grief control you. Let your grief be more important to you than your relationship with God. Keep going back to, I don't deserve this, and, and I, don't I don't think about, or don't think about sin and the consequences of sin and death. Think about how angry you are and how unfair it is that someone close to you died. 
Satan gets you thinking that way. He gets it going in your head, going in your head. I picture Satan like the emperor in Star Wars when he's like, the alliance will die, as will your friends. And then, and then Luke is there and he's angry and he says, good, I can feel your anger. I am defenseless. Take your weapon, strike me down with all your hatred. That's exactly how Satan is working. He's just putting, he's just constantly nagging us with the unfairness, with difficult things are not okay. It's not okay. You're American. You're this, you're that. You shouldn't have to go through difficult things. And then we give in and then our journey to the dark side is complete. So God brings the circumstance. Satan brings the attack to tempt us to sin. But today we're studying the shield of faith. And what we're going to learn is that faith, faith cancels that attack. The shield of faith extinguishes the fiery arrows that Satan is constantly shooting at you. And the shield of faith or faith cancels that attack so that we are just left with what? What are you left with? If the attack is gone, you're left with the circumstance and God minus the sin. It's just you and the circumstance and God. And that's a lot easier to deal with. And I'm going to show you how in just a minute. So faith is the shield from the attack, not the shield from the circumstance. This is where prosperity teachers go wrong. And where their doctrine becomes wrong is when they say, if you have enough faith, bad things won't happen to you. And that is heresy. It is not true. It is bad teaching. Your faith is not preventing bad things from happening, happening to you. Your faith cancels the enemy's attack to get you to sin in the circumstance of the bad thing, whatever that bad thing is. So you get sick. Faith says, I will rejoice. I will pray for healing as God has instructed me to do. And he has promised to be with me. Satan can't do anything against that. And he'll be like, ah, God brought a sickness into their life. And they're just faithful. I hate it. And no matter how much I tempt them to sin, they're just faithful. They just keep trusting in God. So I'm going to quit bothering with them. Or you lose your job. Faith says, holding up the field of, shield of faith is saying, my God cares for me and my God will provide for my needs. That's his promise. I will continue to pray and watch for how he provides. Even though it might not be how I want or how I've expected it to be, God will do it. That's what faith says. And Satan's arrows just start bouncing and, and water is just dousing on their fire. And he's like, what? I love it. Your boss is mean. Faith says, I'm going to love him and serve him anyway. Your spouse is terrible to you. And you respond in love and patience because of faith. Someone dies. You give thanks to God for the time that you had with them and you rejoice in the future hope of heaven 
that death is not the end. You still grieve, but not without purpose or not in anger. Totally different. Totally different. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Paul says there's a completely different way that we sorrow and we grieve. We grieve with hope. Hope knowing we're going to be with them again. This is not the end. I just have my time left here on this earth and then I'll be reunited with them. And it's totally different. You got to write this down. Your circumstances are not the enemy. Your circumstances are not the enemy. Your circumstances are not the enemy. Sin is the enemy. Sin is the enemy. God never says, try to not have anyone die in your life. God never says, try not to get sick. God never says, try not to have tough circumstances. God never says, try to be happy. He doesn't. He is going to bring those things into your life. He is. Because he's a potter and he's a refiner, and he loves you. And so he's going to bring those things into your life. These things will happen. It's the real world we live in. But we are overcomers. These trials do not define us. She's the person who's always sick. Or she's the person who trusts God in all her sickness. He's the guy who just always has bad stuff happen and he's bitter and angry because of it. Or he's just this humble example of patience and hope in faith, always trusting that God and always showing, always trusting that God is there with him and always showing people how to do the same thing. 1 John 5.4 says, For whoever is born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith has overcome the world. What's in this world? Bad stuff. This world can be defined as bad stuff. All kinds of bad stuff is going to happen to you. Sickness, disease, death, crashes, everything. Your team is going to get beat in the Super Bowl. And it's bad. <laughs> but we have an overcoming ability. We have something given to us that we can overcome every single one of those challenges. And someone comes up to me and says, I've had challenges that are too great for God to come. And I say, lovingly, you're a liar. You, that is not true. You're saying you're true and God's a liar? No. God's true. And he says you can overcome if you trust him in faith. His faith overcomes the world. It never fails. They will always overcome. You can get through the trial that you're in. Number one, because it's because God loves you. He's not trying to destroy you. Number two, it's because he's, he's given you this faith that you can have in him. And you can just exercise it. And through that will come victory into your life. You will not be judged. Get this. You will not be judged by how many bad things happen to you. 
but by how you responded. In faith or in sin, it's your choice. Trials, challenges, bad things are really, I want you to get this, opportunities. Opportunities. And I get it. Some days I just don't want the opportunity. (laughs) I've had a long day or it's a struggle and I'm like, I'm not down for this right now. But if I am filled with the Spirit, I'll see each one of them as an opportunity. Look with me at the book of Job. Turn, turn to the book of Job. It's in the Old Testament. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Job. You get to the book of Job, chapter 1. And we're seeing that trials are really opportunities. And they're opportunities for you and opportunities for God. All things are supposed to work out for the good of those who love God, right? You guys have heard that verse, Romans 8, right? 828. You guys all have it memorized. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Amen. Love it. So if that is true, how does it work out for good when it's bad? When I see it as bad, when it's a trial, what does that mean? What is the good he's trying to get? Because Satan, he's just looking for ways to hurt and destroy people and even try to hurt God. Satan's all about it. He loves when trials come into your life because he can twist it. He can attack if you don't have faith. But God is bringing those trials for much higher reasons. Job chapter 1 verse 11, Satan is talking to God. We get this glimpse into the heavenly scene of what's happening in the life of a believer of a believer. And Satan says to God, but now stretch out your hand. Your hand, Satan says, and touch all that he has and he will surely cause, curse you to your face. Or what is Satan trying to get Job to do? Sin. Satan wants him to sin so Job can lose all his blessing and all his relationship with God and everything that God has for him. But Satan, he, he doesn't get it right here. He's actually playing right into God's hand. God is going to bring or allow these trials into Job's life to prove Job. To prove Job, to test Job. You know what they do with tempered metal is they refine it and then they stress it. They, they put it through the rigors of, a, of incredible force and stress to prove it to show the, the quality of that piece of metal. It's the quality assurance people in the office or whatever. It proves the quality of the item or the person. And so Satan here, he's playing right into God's hand. God's like, yeah, I've been thinking of showing the world how awesome Job is. Showing Job how awesome His faith has become how much he trusts me. Because Job, how does he know? He wasn't worried about how Job would respond. God had no worry that Job was going to fall on his face and curse him. God wasn't concerned about that. Why? Because he already saw Job's faith. He could see his faith. He knew his heart. But he wants Satan 
and the world to see how Job will respond. He wants his angels to see Job's faith. He wants to show off what he has already done in Job's heart. This is like the unveiling of that new car when they pull off the thing and it's, oh, ooh, ah. In our life, that happens through trials. Our trials, our opportunity to see God's work that he's been doing in your heart, to see God's faithfulness and our trust in him real. The world has nothing to say Nothing to say when someone goes through a trial and says, I still trust God. That is the most mind-boggling, mind-blowing reaction that, that just the world can't explain it. It's impossible. They think, you, you have got to be crazy. So church must make you crazy, so I'm not going to be part of it because of that. Or I, they just, they can't come up with it. Or they'll say, oh, it's just a psychological response because they know it's not natural. Right. When you go through a trial, it's natural to complain, feel bad, and want to get out of it. It's not natural. It's supernatural to say, I love my God who has brought this into my life, and I hope he changes me into a better man for his glory. Whoa. The world can't touch it. You look at Job chapter 2, verse 5. Satan, that first one didn't go very well because Job's like, Love you, Lord. We're good. Satan says, but stretch out your hand, your hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. Different trial, same result. Job has faith. The attack is neutralized. But Job still got hurt, didn't he? Job still went through pain, didn't he? Right. But he did not sin. He didn't. His faith was a shield that protected him from the enemy's attacks to get him to sin. The enemy's attacks was not that he became poor. The enemy's attacks was not that he lost his, his children and his servants and everything he had and got boils on his skin. None of those were the enemy's attacks, were they? The enemy is attacked. All Satan wanted was to get Job to, in his heart, say one thing that would blaspheme God. One thing to say, I doubt God. I doubt God. And Job didn't. We don't get to choose. We don't get to choose what our trials are, do we? Some of us are going to get cancer. Some of us are betrayed. Some of us have handicaps. Some of us go through worse things than I could even describe. But we have one choice, to trust God in faith or to sin. That's your choice. The attack for Job was to get him to sin. Job will be rewarded for his faith. That he chose to honor God instead of sin because he believed. No one will be able to ever take that away from him. He is storing up treasures in heaven. You can't take your 401k to heaven, but you can honor the Lord in your trials 
by faith now. And that sends treasures to heaven. It matters. It is no accident, this is a really neat thing, it's no accident that God linked a shield and rewards to faith. And where did he do that? In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, he's having a conversation with Abraham. Abraham is who? The father of faith. He's the father of faith in the Bible. He's the first guy that really uh, God identified as being someone who walked by faith. And all of us are seen as children of Abraham if we believe by faith in what God is doing in our lives and in the world. And so this father of faith, God says, uh, after these things, Genesis 15, 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, don't be afraid, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. This is the last place we're going today. So I want you guys to see that not only does faith of God neutralize an attack like a shield, but it also protects and brings us rewards. It's like you're protecting your stash with this shield of faith. And how we respond to trials will determine how rewarded we will be in heaven. So, the more trials you get, the more opportunities you have to be rewarded. This is crazy. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, though, because this is what I think. But I don't want these opportunities. <laughs> I want an easy life. I want to have my joy now. I don't want to have to wait till heaven. But that's our flesh, and I want you to hear what Jesus says about that. Because Jesus says, if you have that heart, you are a wicked, lazy, and you do not know him. Whoa, whoa, heavy, all right? Jesus, he wants us to understand. This life is about the trials that I'm going to give you and how you respond. Heaven is where you get the rewards. This life is about earning those, not earning, is about, yes, earning those rewards through faith. That's what this life is about. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Sometimes Jesus just cuts us to the heart with what he says. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, Jesus tells us a parable about our trials. In Matthew 25, 14, he says, For the kingdom of God, or heaven, is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and deliver, delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made five another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground, and he hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, 
the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful, faithful, faithful servant. You were faithful. Over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Or basically, now you get your joy. Now you get your joy. Verse 22, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. And look, I, I gained two more talents besides them. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the, the one talent, he came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Basically, he's saying, bro, I didn't sign up for this. I wanted a comfortable life. I was afraid to suffer. The little suffering I did go through, I buried it deep in the ground. I responded in sin, and it was wasted. Verse 26, But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gathered where I have not scattered seed? So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you want an easy life, you can have it for the most part. Satan will have no interest in paying attention to you when you have no faith. He can just get you all the time. But you will be sorry. You will. The flaming arrows of the enemy will, will cause you to sin and they'll burn up those, the few rewards that you did have because you didn't have faith. You didn't have the shield of faith. You made a choice not to raise up your shield of faith, not to take it up. You didn't believe it was real or reliable, and so you will lose everything. You only had a certain limited amount of talents or opportunities. That's what talents are. Opportunities, circumstances, trials, bad things that would come into your life, and you wasted them with no faith. Every time a trial came into your life, you were like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. And so God, in his grace and his love, he'll send you something else. And you go, oh, I'm out of here. I'm not going to honor God through that. That's too difficult. I am not going to honor God there. 
All right, God says, but you're missing out. You only have a few of these. There's only a few of these hard things. Only all so many people can die. Only so many people, times you can get sick. Only so many things can be difficult in your life. Believe it or not, I don't have an unlimited amount of talents to just give you, of opportunities to provide for your life. And I don't really feel like providing that many to you because you waste them all. Oh, Lord. Teach me to see my challenges as opportunities. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, one of the last verses in the Bible. He says, Behold, Jesus says, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. What you do matters. Every time you say, I'm going to trust the Lord, you are obtaining rewards that will never be lost, and Jesus is bringing them with him. He doesn't even trust it to angels. He's bringing it with him, and he's going to personally give it to you. And we have no idea how much this matters, how much our lives matter, how much the little decisions we make that seem so small and insignificant to just honor our husband or love our wife or respond in kindness, the little things we do to show faith, how big the reward's going to be, we have no idea. So John chapter 6, 28, they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus says, I'm going to give to everyone according to his work. And they asked him, Jesus himself, well, what do we do to work the works of God? And Jesus says in verse 29, he answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe, that you have faith in him whom he sent. Have faith in me. That's how you do work. That's how you do work. Satan wants to destroy your rewards. He wants to make all the circumstances, circumstances in your life a waste. Every difficult thing he wants to be a waste he wants you to try to get out of it as fast as you can because he wants you to lose your rewards. He hates you. How can you keep that from happening? By faith. Believe that in every situation, in every circumstances, every circumstance that you find yourself in, it is simply an opportunity to glorify God in faith. Everything. That kind of faith will extinguish every flaming arrow of the enemy. I'm going to end today with a poem. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been, had he had his way, and I see. How I blocked him here and checked him there, and I would not yield my will. Shall I see grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though he love me still? Oh, he'd have me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace. While my memory runs like a haunted thing, down the paths I can't retrace. Then my desolate heart will nigh, will well nigh break.
with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No, Lord of the years that are left to me, I yield them to thy hand. Take me, make me, and mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. Trials are coming. Bad things are here, and they're here to stay. And we're throwing away our rewards left and right when we sin. I want you guys to be rich in heaven. And it's through faith that that happens. Simply responding to each of your trials, each of your blessings too, saying, I honor you, God, in this. Whatever this difficult thing is, God, I thank you in it, I praise you in it, and I'll do what you want me to do in it. It changes the way you think about trials, doesn't it? Instead of us thinking, I want my life to be good, I want my life to be easy, we think, I want my life to glorify God. Two very different things. One is the heart of the flesh, and one is the heart of the spirit. Which one are you going to choose to submit to, to surrender to? Let's all pray. Jesus, I ask that you would take this difficult truth, but yet it's a reality that must be understood, and I pray you would implement it into our hearts. I pray that you would give us just vision so every time we see the trial in our life, we see the circumstances that you bring into our lives, I pray, Jesus, that we would also see the attack of the enemy and see how he wants us to sin. And I pray that we would raise up our shield of faith and we would demonstrate faith, that we would choose to honor you. We would choose to do your will in faith and not let our trials be wasted. Lord, this in no, no way means that we, we don't have compassion on those who are going through trials. Lord, no, we, we have compassion. But we pray for the Lord's will to be done, not for ours. And we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding and application of this into our lives. And God, we, uh, we pause now and understand that not everyone in here may know you the way that they need to. Not, maybe not anyone in, everyone in here has been cleansed by the blood of your Son. So we pause to give opportunity and to give a call out to this church, to everyone gathered here and say, if you have, are living in your sin right now and you would like your sin forgiven, that you would just confess to the Lord and say, I, I am a sinner. I need you, and I believe, Jesus, that you will forgive me because you died on the cross for my sin. You were raised showing that your offering was accepted, that your sacrifice was good enough to bring life to someone that's dead, and Lord, I'm dead. Lord, I need your life. I need your forgiveness and your spirit to be inside me. So I call out in faith, not based on anything I do, but on faith that you will hear me and you will wash me clean in your blood. 
We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.